Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Craig Settles. I'm your host for today. Welcome to Gigabit Nation. Uh, today is going to be all about telehealth, um, both the you know the telehealth application side and also uh, the broadband side because you can't have telehealth without broadband. So my first guest is Rena Burr, who is the CEO of a nonprofit um, company, uh, Global Partnership for Telehealth, uh, and also she oversees the, telehealth, the Southeast Telehealth Resource Center. Um, welcome, Rena, to the show. I appreciate you making time for us today. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So let's talk a little bit about your uh, your nonprofit first, and then a minute for the, uh, the resource center because every I think it's every state has one, um, or maybe a couple are paired up. But but telehealth uh, resource centers are a great uh, uh, resource, and everybody should be knowing about them. So let's talk about what's up with your company. Okay, we are a global partnership for telehealth. We started out as the Georgia telemedicine program um, and then became the Georgia partnership for telehealth uh, in 2007. We started the foundational work in 2004 to build out a statewide telehealth network. Um, And that was actually funded uh, by uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and Anthem uh, as a result of our insurance commissioner wanting to be able uh, for those rich resource, medically resource communities to be able to push out services to every nook and cranny in Georgia. And, uh, and that was a three-year commitment. Then we, we took uh, what little dollars were left and transitioned into the nonprofit to continue that work. And it just grew into the surrounding states. And we even ended up with some mission projects overseas, the largest being an orphanage in Guatemala with 450 children in it run by American mm-hmm. missionaries. So they needed telehealth. So we stood them up and then they were able to connect with doctors in Louisiana, LSU to, to, to get care for those, those, those children. Uh, but we have grown over the years. We're probably one of the largest nonprofit telehealth networks in the country. And, um, and we may be one of the most experienced telehealth companies um, out there. But we can work with anyone. We're web-based, uh, and uh, and certainly, you know, as, as we're dealing with this pandemic, uh, people are really seeing the value of telehealth. Uh, adoption of telehealth has been slow over the years. Uh, now, we have a large network of over 600, um, we call them endpoints, and these are providers and receivers of clinical care. But even, look how long it took us to get to 600 if we started in 2004. Um, so mm-hmm. adoption has been slow, but I think I think you know post this pandemic, everyone from patients to providers to health systems to industry, everybody's going to see the value of being able to connect virtually. Uh, because if you think about it, how many times have we gone to a provider and they never really put their hands on us because they wanted to discuss our lab work. They wanted to look at, at, at a wound or something, and all of that could be done uh, virtually with good video and audio. All right, now, now I know you asked about a... Southeast. Uh-huh. So, sorry, go ahead. 
uh, you asked about the Southeast Telehealth Resource Center. Um, everyone needs to know about the Telehealth Resource Centers, and you can Google, uh, just type in Telehealth Resource Centers, and that will take you to our national webpage. Um, we are federally funded through the um, Office for the Advancement of Telehealth and through HRSA. Uh, these programs have been around since the middle 2000s, and there are 14 resource centers who are available to you to reach out to for all kinds of information. Uh, but there are 12 regional, and we are one of the, those regional. We cover the southeastern part of the country. We have Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. But every state has a resource center. We have two national resource centers. So if you want to know about policy, we have a policy that will cover telehealth reimbursement and policies for every state uh, across the, the, the country. And you can go to that one resource. That's the Center for Connected Health Policy. But go to telehealthresourcecenter.org and you'll find all of these links. And we have another national technology. So if you want to know about technology-related uh, delivering telehealth services, um, that would be the place to go. But I encourage everyone to go to this, this website. We also have a COVID um, toolkit. So if you're quickly trying to crank up services, uh, you should go to that website and, uh, and you'll see right up front this, this toolkit to begin telehealth within your practice or your system or wherever you are. Great. Now, one of the things that uh, I've been talking about is uh, just this last week, the uh, folks that run Medicare, Medicaid, um, have made it so that um, we can take uh, facilities such as dorms, hotels, um, alternate uh, treatment centers, and so forth, and provide telehealth in those uh, facilities, which was not a possibility before COVID, right? But the big thing about it is um, is trying to offload some of the patients at a regular hospital um, so that they can keep making room for COVID uh, patients. Now, you know, you and I have only talked about that maybe once, but what's, what's your take on this, um, uh, this development and how practical is it to take, um, you know, dorm rooms and uh, hotel rooms, if you've got the, the you know, the, the go-ahead to turn them into healthcare centers? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, telehealth is perfect for mitigation. Uh, we're trying to, to keep everyone safe. Um, away from exposure, to decrease risk tremendously. And, you know, a lot of the emphasis has been on in-home telehealth. And, and you're right, CMS has certainly made tremendous changes so that providers can get paid for connecting with patients in their home. And even through all this pandemic, people are still needing care for routine care. I mean, maybe you've got a rash, maybe you've got bronchitis, um, and we don't want to go to a provider's office and sit in the waiting room amongst other people who may or may not have the virus. Um, so so in-home connection is a big push. And then we move to those who need hospitalization, the non-COVID patients, non-infected, 
who still need to be in the hospital because you still have people having strokes. You still have people who are having heart conditions flare up that need attention more than is at home. So, so what we're finding, and all you got to do is watch the news, that there are hospitals being uh, created in, in unusual places where they've never been before. Now, I will say field hospitals have, have always been part of, of the military. Um, they've had to set up uh, full-blown hospitals in, in war zones and in different places. And now we're seeing it happening in Central Park and, and in all kinds of, of, of unusual land masses. And then we start talking about what buildings, like you just mentioned, could be converted into hospital rooms. Because if we have a hospital that, let's say it's a smaller hospital, and it's almost full with infected patients, where are we going to, how are we going to deal with the patients who are not infected? Of course, you can, you can, you know, have one wing where, where, where you don't have these COVID patients, but then at some point you might even run out of that. So then you start looking in the community. Are there buildings like dormitories? Are there hotels that could be converted? And even, you know, we've been seeing it um, from our government talking about these different kinds of places. And, you know, typically what's going to happen is a hospital would be responsible for staffing this non-traditional hospital, or it might be uh, the military sends in a military brigade who comes in and manages this. Um, but you had talked about hotels. And see, could that not be an ideal substitute when every room has its own bathroom and, and you're able to isolate patients like that? Um, and mm-hmm. then bring telehealth in because maybe you can't have all the physicians that you normally have in a hospital, but you can bring them in virtually with telehealth right. um, capabilities. Mm-hmm. And this um, this idea it was mine, obviously, but um, it was, I would say, a couple of years ago where I interviewed um, uh, the, uh, the assistant city manager for a place in California called Loma Linda, and their hospitals were experimenting with various types of telehealth um, activity, right? So one was to put uh, wireless sensors in the room, um, and then that way you would facilitate monitoring of the patients who had just had surgery. Now, at the time, Uh the thinking was, um, we'll do this because it's cheaper to put a person in a uh, hotel room um, than it is to be in an overnight in a, in a hospital, right? Um, but it was interesting to see that the technology works well, and the only thing that really stood in the way was HIPAA and, 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 and uh, queasy lawyers. Um, that's not to be confused with sleazy, but, but anyway, um, it's a... Um, you know that was the the back, uh, you know the thing that was holding it back. They also were uh, experimenting with um, having uh, robots that would make rounds. I mean, basically they would go and they have a little uh, mm-hmm. camera and all that good stuff, and they would go into um, the, to a patient's room, and the doctor could see them or the nurse or whomever uh, could stay at their desk. Da- their desk 
and would still be able to uh, observe the patient, ask questions and so forth, see the patient. Um, and so now we're looking at, um, you know, uh, taking that idea and moving it to, like, you know, what's now a very critical situation. Um, it's, do you see lots of other um, act, uh, telehealth activities that might have been in small areas uh, that, that are now are looking to be, um, you know, uh, to have a greater role because of everyone's response to uh, the virus? Um, certainly. You know, we are getting a, a lot of the uh, providers who have never um, had telehealth capabilities in their office who now are out of necessity implementing it to connect with patients at home. But think of this, those, uh, those warrior, you know, providers in these emergency rooms and they get exposed and they have to go on quarantine. Well, oftentimes they're on quarantine and they don't have the virus, but they're trying to protect others. They could actually sit at home and still be able to see patients virtually from their mm -hmm. home and it connecting back into the emergency center or on the floor where the patients are. So there still can be oversight, virtual oversight, for those that are having to quarantine for 14 days. Mm -hmm. So now one of the things that I ran into a lot when I first started uh, researching the telehealth area, uh, I would talk to um, uh, network managers, the people who have built these broadband networks in places like Wilson and Chattanooga and so forth, and there was a lot of reluctance, like why would we do something like that? That's what the hospitals are for, what have you. Um, I thought then, and I think now, that you need to put a team together of both um, you know, your healthcare professionals, obviously, but also maybe the city uh, staff, like the IT uh, director or the city um, city manager, uh, you know the the network uh, manager for 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 broadband, uh, maybe a couple of other folks. Does it make sense to have a sort of a um, like a all star team of your city leaders, especially if you're talking about um, in essence commandeering? places like uh, senior citizen centers and hotels and so forth uh, to make this whole thing happen. Um, yes, and, and I want to speak to those who are in charge of broadband. They should be part of every emergency response team, no matter what kind of emergency you're planning for, because we this is a tech, technology age. And how crippled we are when the technology doesn't work because there's not enough internet. There's not enough bandwidth to support it. So whether we're talking about a hurricane emergency, um, you know, a wildfire emergency in a community, or something epidemic, a pandemic like this, they, broadband people should always be at the table um, to support and be able to, in order for all of us to do our jobs. I mean, unfortunately, isn't that true? how crippled we are if well, we don't yep. have the internet. <laughs> this is true. Now, one of the things, um, you know, as I've through and talked to people in these last few weeks, 
Um, what's been brought up is the training aspect or the planning aspect, right? And in, in New York State, um, I had a person tell me about, um, you know, we didn't have telehealth or they weren't very, you know, receptive to it in certain parts of, the, uh, of, of New York State. And, um, and then all of a sudden, like, we had this pandemic, and so now everybody's scrambling to have something, uh, you know, telehealth-related and stuff. But from this person's perspective, neither the patients nor the doctors are really prepped for what happens when you move into a digital world for delivering healthcare. Now, I understand, uh, you know, your company provides some of that training um, for your customers, but I'd like to get you to you know t- speak a little bit on that issue. Yeah, well, nowadays, as long as the 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 application is simple and it should be. I mean, we we work really hard to make sure that what we put out there and what we encourage people to use is very basic and simple, and it's as simple as doing FaceTime. Um, so whatever the product that that a provider is going to use or, or health system, it needs to be real simple and few buttons, and 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 it, it ought to work seamlessly. But um, you know, and and as far as preparing for something like this, I don't think anyone could have ever imagined that that this kind of situation would happen, and um, mm-hmm. and it took all of us by surprise. But it would have been better if we had been a little further down the road with telehealth uh, than we are. I think it would have been a lot easier for the adoption mm-hmm. to, to soar and for people to, to get comfortable. But I think just from judging by the phone calls that we have gotten, the first two weeks, I mean, starting, I guess, about the 16th, we were slammed as a resource center, as a nonprofit, with people trying to get up to speed. But this is the third week, and I can tell you the calls have lessened, the, the panic is less, and so I think people have quickly ratcheted up and, uh, and are, are, doing, are doing fairly well um, with whatever mm-hmm. technology, telemedicine technology that they, they are adopting. We're real pleased with that. Um, but but it was it was a lot of panic going on uh, for a couple of weeks about what do we do mm-hmm. how do we do this and uh, and so I I am pleased to report that we're seeing uh, a positive we're taking it as positive signs. Mm-hmm. So now um, if I were to do sort of like a laundry list of who might or what types of facilities would come in to play as an alternative healthcare delivery system. Um, I would talk about the dorms, the, the hotels, um, but what else in, you know, rural America in particular, uh, what can, what can the, 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 the city managers and so forth take advantage of that they can um, turn into a uh, temporary uh, health care delivery place well we see we see what's going on even around the globe sports arenas are being taken over and maybe small communities Mm -hmm. their only sports arenas are are associated with their public schools but those are open spaces that could be partitioned off like we see 
um, at the Queen Stadium um, um, in, in New York. Um, so any large space um, could be turned into a, a, a hospital, a field hospital. Mm-hmm. And you could um, even break down the care uh, and then figure out which types of facilities work best. For example, if you are trying to address um, you know, injuries, uh, car accidents, those kinds of things where there's immediate trauma and you need to be, um, you know, getting those folks uh, repaired, as it were, um, that's like one type of shelter that makes sense, like the open air uh, places that, that, that could be partitioned off, like the sports places. I would assume that um, if I wanted to do, uh, you know, monitoring of a patient overnight, uh, you know, for some sort of issue that flares up, I would assume that there would be a those p patients would need a different type of thing. Do you have an idea of like what kinds of facilities or community uh, resources could make sense for different types of healthcare? Well, I really think they're all going to resemble each other. They're all going to have the same needs. You've got to be able to monitor patients properly. You know, they have to have a safe environment, um, but you've got to be able to be able to have all the technology there. You've got to have the staff there, and 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 you know, you got to have the ability to do X-rays and scans. Um, and it may be that some some communities don't have mobile units that can go out, um, or they don't have the military bringing in those units. Then it would be those patients who need the least amount of care um, are, are the lowest risk ones who aren't, you know, maybe someone's real unstable with a heart condition and, and you might not want them in one of these locations. So you do, ha you do have to sit down and come up with, with criteria for who's most appropriate to go here, mm -hmm. who's the lowest risk, and you still may have to divide your hospital up. I do know that um, I, I live in Albany, Georgia. We've been on the news a little mm -hmm. bit lately, unfortunately, um, for, for our, the COVID outbreak. And I do know that the hospital, there's property behind the hospital. And to increase capacity, they are actually uh, building out another hospital uh, back there quickly. Uh, I'm not sure what they're using, mobile um, uh, rooms, or, or I'm not real sure. I haven't seen it because I'm, I'm staying in place. But, uh, but they're quickly trying to have more intensive care units uh, and building this field hospital out there. Um, mm -hmm. So every, many communities are doing this right now. Now, I see um, a situation where traveling nurses might become mm -hmm. a factor in um, creating these type of facilities, right? Because um, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely. Now, now, so how, how do you see that working out from a telehealth perspective? Well, I know that we've had an influx in our community of a lot of out-of-state nurses, which we're so thankful for because uh, the local is, is really working their fingers to the bone and it's going to help give them some relief so that they can go rest and re-energize. Um, 
themselves, but also, you know, the the, the military brigades that, that are available. Such a blessing to see that uh, I think there was a, a brigade out of North Carolina, Fort Bragg, heading uh, today uh, to New York to help give relief. Um, you know, these are skilled people. Um, and, and so we're fortunate that we have access. And then there's lots of uh, nurses and doctors coming out of retirement who are coming mm-hmm. to our different facilities. And they could, they, these kind of people could help stand up these non-traditional hospitals uh, that we're talking about today. Here again, mm-hmm. here again, they're usually linked to the local health system um, who will help supervise and, um, and, and assure, you know, the quality and all that you need within a hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, uh, and we've got about time for one, you know, one last question, um, do in some of the articles that I've read, when they talk about the state of healthcare over the next say ten years, there's a lot of hand wringing and so forth about the shortage of hospitals, of doctors, and and just a whole mm-hmm. raft of things. Um, would this idea of using alternate sites for for healthcare would that be a way to maybe address this down the road uh five six years you know if we don't get our act together as far as like the numbers of hospitals and so forth will we or need we uh, look at um you know this type of alternative um health centers and telehealth as a way to get us through that hurdle. Yes. Well, my hope is that once this pandemic passes, that some of the relaxed rules with CMS will remain in place, and in particular, the ability for a provider to see a patient in their home and for that provider to get paid for that visit. Um, mm-hmm. there are so, there, there, there's just so many uh, situations where uh, the patient could be at home and receive that quality uh, interaction and examination with their provider. So I hope I hope that that remains true. Also, mm-hmm. many many patients, many seniors do go to senior centers. Um, and and wouldn't it be nice if if a if a person goes there on a regular basis that they can also, if they need to see a doctor, they're able to connect with their doctor. And I think, and I think that's important is connecting with their local doctors. Um, I mean, I, I love it when when there are distant doctors available. But when it comes to primary care, it would be nice if if local primary care docs can can take care of their patients um, within their communities and do it virtually. Um, mm-hmm. As far as hospital beds. Being in non-traditional places, I think that's yet to be seen. Let's we got to get past this crisis and then do an evaluation of of where we were, where we are, and where we need to be, and how are we going to mm-hmm. meet the needs. Um, I do hope that telehealth will improve people's health. Uh, remote patient monitoring um, is is a part of telehealth, and if we could better manage these chronic disease patients then certainly hospitalizations would be needed less and the quality of life uh, would be better for these patients and they can stay healthier and more well at home. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this has been um, a great, a great conversation. I would say that um, you know it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic to get the average person to recognize and understand the value of telehealth, but it is what it is, and we just make the best of it, I guess. And um, but but I think that all of those folks that are in the telehealth space right now are are definitely needed. So uh, I appreciate the work that you do, and I appreciate taking time from that work to uh, to to speak with um, you know my my audience and myself and. And I'm pretty sure I'll be calling again <laughs> just to, you know, thank you. As, as things have <laughs> come together and stuff. So thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. And if, yeah, and if people want to talk to me, just look up Global Partnership for Telehealth and our phone number's there. Great. I, um, I appreciate it much and uh, have a great rest of your day. Uh, thank you. And thank you for what you do. Yeah. Oh, no worries, no worries. Yeah. Um, uh, the next guest for today, um, he's actually been on the show before, and that would be um, Ron Deus. He's the CEO of a wireless ISP, or WISP. Uh, next Internet is his company. Uh, they based in Cleveland. And... Um, as we look at telehealth in general, broadband is a key part of that. But if we're looking at a situation where we're trying to uh, hurry along uh, to, to, to get broad, uh, to get telehealth implemented quickly so as it can make a difference in this telehealth world of, um, uh, you know, with the, with the pandemic, uh, you need broadband in a hurry. And I think wireless uh, is up to the task. Ron, welcome to the show. Yes, how are you Ron, doing? Still, yes, <laughs> I'm doing fine. So, um, you know, right. thank you for for this. And then he, Ron, is also one of those folks that I call uh, from time to time when I have a question about technology. And we had a conversation this a couple of weeks ago. You know, what is the you know the reality of Using or deploying wireless in a situation that we've that that we've discussed here uh, with Rena, how doable is this um, from a technology standpoint? Uh, sure. Well, um, it's first I'd like to say uh, once again thanks for letting me uh, be on the show. And uh, two, I think that it's uh, very very doable. This is uh, something that's been done actually uh, for quite some time. Um, it's being deployed now and uh, seems to be holding up and doing doing well, even in these extreme cases. Mm-hmm. Now, when you know your when you first came to my attention uh, years ago, it was because you guys are. Um, de- deploying uh, gigabit uh, services, and I think that there's still sections of the uh, the broadband world and the general population where folks think wireless. I think of Wi-Fi, but not necessarily like great uh, broadband, great 
uh, speed or great security. Um, how, how would you respond to those doubters? Well, I, I think uh, it's, it's starting to prove itself out uh, today. Uh, you can go back several years and uh, wireless wasn't a part of the conversation as, as in providing internet access uh, services. You might have dealt with wireless as a cell phone uh, technology or as a satellite technology to, to deliver TV. Um, but today, you know, we've spent several years um, with, with 4G and 4G technologies and people who have, um, you know, been using uh, 4G and uh, those technologies have now just looked at it as this is, you know, what you would do if you needed to get on the Internet and, and do things, whether it's on your cell phone, tablet, and in some cases uh, your laptop with Wi-Fi. So I think it's mm-hmm. um, it's proving itself to be uh, pretty valuable and um, convenient. So now uh, I think I remember if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, the one the, the question I called you about one day was, um, is it faster to de- de- to deploy a wireless um, system? Say we'll call it ten ten square blocks, right, for convenience here. Um, is it much different to build an infrastructure for just delivering of the wireless, but not as a business? You know, we're not trying to sell subscriptions, right? Uh, is, is there a difference between that kind of uh, um, uh, infrastructure versus I need to capture money in some way, so I'm basically providing wireless as a to-be-sold item? Is there a difference from your side? Well, there's um, there is no difference when we're we're talking about uh, infrastructure and we're talking about um, you know putting in any any kind of infrastructure. It it really kind of depends on the application and the business model that you use to uh, pay for said infrastructure. Um, how um, how will you use this infrastructure or the applications? Um, how reliable does this infrastructure need to be um, is another factor in, in designing, building, and then also maintaining uh, infrastructure. So that that is pretty much what you look at in any um, project where you're, you're trying to deploy um, some sort of utility. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, uh, let me back it up so I put it in a little context here. So when I am talking to people about um, fiber, um, there's always the issue of you know the 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 fiber itself, right? Getting it into the conduits and all that kind of stuff. But then there's right. some sort of apparatus around the selling of it, right? So there's like dark fiber which basically you're just selling the, the, the cable and not a lot of the connectors and so forth that, uh, that are typical of a wired uh, life, uh, I'm sorry, a, um, a live fiber network where you're having electronics and gear uh, to facilitate your ability to, to sell that service, right? So is there a 
similar kind of thing with uh, wireless, or are you just saying that um, it's going to cost me about the same amount of money whether I make it available for free or if I make it as a you know pay for service? Well, I think the the main differences um, between the technologies, if you wanted to talk about um, the differences between um, delivering broadband through some sort of wired technology, uh, cable or fiber, versus uh, delivering uh, services or Internet-based broadband services using wireless infrastructure, there's definitely a higher cost into uh, laying cables and putting in wires um, in, in places that uh, uh, lend itself to, um, you know, putting in wires. So there's there's an exponential cost in in putting in wires. Uh, we we spent you know over a hundred years in this country and uh, putting in wires where we can put them. And um, you know we we had a, a network in place and now we're we're trying to re refit that with with uh with with fiber and and uh and it's pretty difficult it was difficult back then it's difficult now mhm so then that that goes to the, or speaks to the issue of um you know again the ease of wire wireless as an infrastructure deployment um, just because, uh, you know, you don't have, well, number one, you don't have to tear up the ground. Uh, you don't have to replace conduit or enlarge conduit and all that stuff. You know, with wireless, you're basically putting routers in the, in the air. And, I mean, obviously, it's got to come back to a fiber connection. But sure. it's a, um, you know, it's easier, I think, people to, to, cra- uh, to get their mind around but again, looking at um, you know, if I was looking at to uh, to do a broadband network for the long haul, and then there's also the issue of uh, I need right now, you know, turning dorms into um, uh, a hospital units uh, that requires infrastructure, and then then so the wireless then would make sense sense in that type of a scenario. I would assume. Yes, yes, it would. It, so when when you um, when you're looking at um, putting in you know communication broadband uh, infrastructure into places that didn't have uh, any kind of you know uh, wiring to begin with, that's where the advantages of wireless uh, technology start to take place. So y- y- you can look at in in other countries. Uh, war zones like we you guys discussed earlier, these places either have been damaged um, or just doesn't have uh, those facilities available. And you can bring mobile units in. You can bring in um, or fall back to a wireless infrastructure that um, can deliver, you know, the communication that you need to, Start working and and you know performing uh, tasks with 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 that and it just is uh, quicker to deploy as one of those advantages and in some cases uh, a lot of cases uh, less expensive. Mm-hmm. Now one thing we we're talking about um, healthcare 
right, is there are going to be teams of lawyers that get a little bit distressed about having um, HIPAA, uh, you know, uh, rules be enforced in a wireless environment. And especially if you're talking about saying, oh, well, we're going to take a place that was never intended to be a hospital and we're going to make it a hospital and we're going to use wireless as the underlying communication infrastructure. Um, what do you say to those um, you know, folks that are a little on the, on the queasy side there? And does it matter whether we're talking about wireless um, Wi-Fi or uh, fixed wireless well I, I think um, for, first of all there's been um, you know, a lot of development and a lot of work in um, wireless broadband uh, technologies that uh, allow for very very secure uh, communications in terms of uh, being able to securely transmit information keep that information secure and in the right, uh, and to be verified of who's actually receiving uh, that information. Uh, today, I think you know people may not even think about it anymore as to if they pull up their cell phone or if they're on their laptop and they log into their bank and they're pulling up sensitive information, um, or if they have uh, logged into their um, healthcare provider's portal and looked at their chart. Um, a lot of um, development has been, um, you know, uh, set up uh, in, in, in the last several years in, in making sure that not only is that secure, but um, every aspect of transferring sensitive information um, is, is, is more secure as we start to rely on that form of communication uh, more and more. Uh, today, in terms of um, uh, HIPAA compliance, there, there are a lot of, you know, um, certification um, equipment that is certified to be used uh, today uh, for, for that compliance, and SEC compliance, DOD uh, compliance. So it, it's, it's one of those things where um, it, it some organization people may not realize um, how far that's come. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, so now, is there much difference? Well, okay, let me phrase that this way. Um, there is a difference between Wi-Fi and fixed wireless. From a um, from a security standpoint. And a I don't know endurance standpoint. Um, what's the difference between those two technologies, Wi-Fi and fixed wireless? So uh, Wi-Fi was uh, really uh, built to be a, uh, a a local area network replacement, uh, the Ethernet cable that uh, would typically connect you from a closet to a um a desktop or a, a separate room and um whereas uh fixed uh wireless is uh meant to be as a uh, a last mile uh delivery 
uh, technology where you're providing access uh, wirelessly from building to building, from town to town, from house to house, and uh, you know, tower to tower. And um, so they fit in different areas of that uh, communication delivery. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do you think it's a um, – is there a danger um, when you have a, a facility or a series of facilities? I'm thinking about dorm, dorm rooms, right, um, or even a, even a hotel, right, because those have uh, some sort of infrastructure – uh, already in place, right? I know in, in hotels, you know, they've got various types of Wi-Fi and so forth. Um, does that present a problem for, you know, this kind of a rapid deployment kind of thing? Like, do you have to worry about, uh, you know, like a dorm, the door, a set of dorm rooms um, or buildings, actually, dormitory full of the full thing? Um, or is it actually a benefit because of the fact that there may be wireless in place at a hotel or at a uh, set of set of dorm uh, facilities. Well, yeah, I think um, it is a benefit um, if it's there, and um, but the the problems that can come from there is what was that um, access built for, and some. In, in hotels, it, it, that that access was built for uh, maybe temporary access where you know people need to just get online. Maybe they're uh, doing some remote work to the office, or maybe they're uh, casually enjoying some sort of streaming service, um, or it is set to set up in a way to where it's just temporary. So. Uh, you, you may have um, the capacity to just get someone online, and then it times out um, in mm, you know mm-hmm. in a day. And it wasn't meant to be always on if someone is is there day after day. So those are the, the, the different kinds of applications um, mean a lot to how you're going to repurpose that network for other types of communications. Mm, I gotcha. I gotcha. So you have to, um, you know, sort of like I mentioned earlier, uh, or let's see, I've had two different interviews today and I'm kind of losing them there. But um, uh, in the discussion I had earlier, um, there was an issue of, uh <sighs> you know, this sort of transition where people just throw things at problem. Uh, or in this case, you know, we got, we've got th- this virus and we're running out of hospital spaces and so forth. Right. So you want to be able to act quickly, but at the same time, aren't you, you know, we would an extra day of planning maybe have better uh, outcomes then if you just like throw this thing and move on because you're worried about being in a hurry. Well, you know, it's, uh, 
sometimes you can't uh, see what um, is is coming is coming down down the road or or, or, or be able to predict what might happen. Uh, I know uh, no one really saw what we're dealing with uh, today. You know, even a year ago, um, no one would have thought that we'd be dealing with. Uh, this pandemic in the way that we're dealing with. Um, so that that always is one of the things that you try to do when you're you're you're, you're putting in some kind of infrastructure is that you're you're, you're trying to build something um, for the future. You're trying to build something that can handle um, the capacity of you know whatever you can throw at it. Um, you never really know um, until you, you have to, you know, test it and uh, it gets put uh, under, you know, um, a trial of fire, if you will, once once these things and events start to happen. Mhm. I gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think one of the things that uh, has become very apparent as we have gone through this um, pandemic is that we have a lot of um, unserved populations. And it may be that uh, you have rural areas uh, where folks say, oh, we, we uh, you know, have a lot of, lots of folks that aren't covered. But isn't the situation similar in urban areas? Well, you know, I, I think um, this is one of the uh, things that you know we've we, we've touched on before and previously, which is um, we we know the issues that the rural areas have is uh, there's very little choice, um, very little capacity, or very little infrastructure at all in a lot of cases, and um, there's um, some really um, great efforts being made by uh, wireless service providers uh, for the last uh, several years in, in providing, you know, access to underserved areas in, 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 in the rural, in the rural towns and um, out there. And in the, the urban environment, uh, you, you would most likely assume that, well, it's a, an urban area and I'm sure it's, 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 um, there's, infrastructure there and it's it's wired up um but there's these pockets of maybe lower income or um pockets of the area where it just wasn't uh, there weren't um people living there pre- previously and it just wasn't there and those areas suffer because um either it's highly expensive to put that um infrastructure in place or provide services in those areas um, or it's um, just not, you know, feasible maybe by um, the standards that some of the, you know, incumbents have to provide services to these parts of the urban environment. Do you think um, using um, the infrastructure or part of the infrastructure to address healthcare? Um, whether it's in the you know the, the, the this pandemic situation or just in general, um, does having 
that infrastructure? Is it easier to, you know, requisition or to fundraise for it or whatever? But would it be easier? I mean, so it would be more, you know, beneficial to create um, healthcare applications and and then present to a city council or a you know regional board or whomever that we're here we're here to take care of people's health and so subsequently that has more weight more political weight more financial fundraising weight um as a you know as a way to actually get this this um network done I think there's a there's a, a lot of things have just become very apparent and, and and more clear, you know, with this pandemic that hey, there the infrastructure is, is important. Um, having it, having internet available allowed us to do things that um, we didn't plan on doing, uh, like everyone's remotely working now. Um, that's something that, you know, it was an option before. It, it wasn't something that uh, people planned on doing or um, organizations even thought that that was something that uh, they should care about, but all of a sudden we're doing it. And now we're finding out that um, using telehealth is, is almost – you know, vital in these situations and 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 and, and very convenient, um, in, specifically in the scenario that we're in with the pandemic, and keeping um, people sheltered. That it, it's actually pretty important, and it, it now needs a lot more concern. It, it needs a lot more attention, I should say, than it previously did. So yeah, I think we we see that now, whereas before it was more of an experiment. It was more of um, what if, and um, a real case can be made to say now hey, this is this is important, and we need to plan for this, and we need to um, push this forward because this is you know is going to be the new norm. Mm-hmm. So now um, you know when you were on the show I think the first time, uh, you know one of my questions was um, pe- people don't think about um urban areas as having with right they they got the big guys and you know maybe you did something like Chattanooga and you built a fire a fiber network and so forth um is it weird being a wisp i mean how do you figure out how do you find your role um and uh can we get more of folks like i mean i i, mean, I know you want to have not too many com- competitors, but um, it seems like there should be more of you. Right. Well, you know the the landscape of um, broadband and internet in the United States has been has always been pretty unique. I mean, what we've developed here uh, through regulation and through um, industry practices is that we've we've created these uh, monopolies, duopolies, um, where um, these incumbents have um, you know powered themselves to you know 
to to be to 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 block people out of specific industries, and this is you know what happens in you know monopolies where um, it's just made to be difficult uh, to do, and it and it does take uh, work and um, resources to 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 make that work. So it's it's not an easy thing, um, but it's one of those things where um, we've kind of made this made this scenario that we've um, that we're living in, uh, and it, it it just makes sense in some areas to do that where we talked about in, um, in the rural areas where uh, you have very little choice of, or if you have choices at all. Um, and in the urban areas, um, you know, absolutely, I think there's there's plenty of opportunity to serve people to provide choice um, in 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 what people can do um, as far as um, getting access. Mm-hmm. Um, about time for the last question, I guess. Um, do you see the um, this pandemic? Be able, will it be able to um, motivate uh, consumers, especially lower-income folks, uh, to have broadband or to get better broadband or to lobby for better broadband? Well, I think uh, consumers have always, have always uh, wanted better broadband. Uh, we've, we've been limited by choice. Um, We've been uh, limited by by the cost of those uh, those services, um, and the thing about what people want from uh, the internet is 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 always is always changing. Um, you know, today we would have thought that hey, uh, the services that we get on the internet, I, I would you know I want to make sure that I get. My Netflix or my streaming service is very cheap uh, because um, that's what's important right now, and um, I don't want the uh, provider throttling that um, or slowing down or blocking access for particular things because I I'd like to watch um, you know my streaming uh, video, whereas um, you know in terms of net neutrality you know as unpopular as it was to say uh, the provider shouldn't have any um, ability to manage that network. Um, today we're seeing in, in, in Europe and other places where some of these net neutrality um, rules have been put in place, people started working from home and all of a sudden, you know, you've got these congested networks full of uh, streaming video and gaming services and now the more um, important uh, pieces of traffic uh, like the telehealth, like the um, other lifeline services, are being you know congested or not you know going through, and you're having to manage that traffic where they they can't uh, because of those those rules and laws. Um, so you know this I'm gonna have the to kind of things that I'm gonna have to I'm going to have to cut you off because sure, we're sure. out of time. But thank you very much. And we can pick up this discussion next time. Ron and also Raina, 
thank you very much, both of you, for making time to talk with us today. And thank you to our audience for supporting us today. Take care. We'll be back again tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks. See you.